I don't have the headaches and the hassle of project execution, and I don't have to explain to my clients my markup or defend it. I can just do what I'm really good at, which is design, and then they can actually do what they're good at, which is execution. If you're thinking of changing your business model for your interior design business, today's guest has some ideas for you. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your interior design business? Then welcome to Wingnut Social, the podcast specifically designed to accelerate your business through increased social media presence, impactful online content, and translating industry experience into physical success. This is your design business tightly fastened. Now welcome the hosts of Wingnut Social, Darla Powell and Natalie Graff. We'd like to give a shout out to Article and thank them for sponsoring our podcast. Article is an online-only furniture company inspired by mid-century style and Scandinavian simplicity. Run on over and check them out. Wingnut.article.com. Hey there, welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I am your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things Wingnut, Darla Jethro Powell, and I'm joined by my stellar co-host, the Soulless Ginger, also known as Natalie Ann Graff, a.k.a. Busty McGillicuddy. Busty, how the hell are you? Oh, I'm not too bad, Jethro. How are you? I'm actually doing well today, Natalie. I had my first haircut since February today. Oh, yes, I know. I got to have mine yesterday. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Didn't well, I thought you said you're 15-year-old kid? Oh, no. I got my first professional haircut, <laughs> I should say. Are you saying Abby didn't charge you for your haircut? Uh, no, that was free. Um, but I will <laughs> like to say that our hairdresser did say Abby didn't do too shabby. That's not what she told me today. Oh, really? (laughs) She told you something different. Well, I think she tells each of us what we like to hear. I think that's true because I think she told me how much she likes my hair. And then I think she agreed with you this morning that, yes, we should let it get longer. So she did. Yeah. So we've caught her. We caught her in a lie. I don't think she's lying. I just think she's very nice. She's very sweet. Yes, she is. And she gives pretty damn good haircuts. She doesn't do a bad job. I'm glad, except I'm all itchy. My neck's all itchy. Oh, well, there's a cream for that. Natalie, we have something up our sleeve. Oh, we do. What is that? Well, I guess I have two sleeves. I have something up both sleeves. Two arms? Well, you know, I kind of got the webinar bug doing the webinars for my DOMA and ASID and NKBA and insert your acronym here. And I, I really kind of dig them. I enjoy them. And I'm like, you know, why aren't we doing one for Wingnut Social? So guess what? Let me guess. We're doing one for Wingnut Social. And by we, I mean you. Me and Shana Heinrich, our director ah, of social media. As long as I'm not involved. Because she's the smart one. That's right. <laughs> that was a smart move, Darla. Yeah, so Shana and I said, hey, let's put on our own webinar. And it's going to be all about social media marketing and becoming a social media influencer. Do, 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 do. So if you guys want to reach out to brands, but your social media account isn't exactly where it needs to be, you're going to want to tune in for that. And all the deets will be in the show notes at wingnutsocial.com. In the wake of the new normalcy that's going on, we all know that algorithms are ever changing. So guess what? We're going to help you out. If you want to be that influencer, if your social media marketing needs, this is what this webinar is really going to be all about. Yeah, so stuff's getting back to normal. We have noticed that engagements and likes are starting to taper back down to the the old normal, right? So we're going to give you uh, some information on how to combat that, especially on Instagram. You know, that's our main focus, but this is going to cover pretty much all the bases. And sign-up registration goes live on June 4th. 2020, in case anybody, you know, is getting a little lost in time. (laughs) Of of this year. 
the actual webinar is going to be on June 25th of 2020 at 1 p.m. with me and Shana Heinrichsy. So go over to wingnutsocial.com slash podcast to get all those deets. And I look forward to seeing you there. Let's see. Natalie. Yes. You know what? Darla Powell Interiors, our interior design firm here in Miami, Florida, we do the whole kit and caboodle. We do design, project management, the, we oversee the constructions. We like to we like to tear things down, get dusty, and and actually implement the designs afterwards. But today's guest has a little bit of a different business model, and I have to tell you, I'm intrigued. Well, let's hopefully she will intrigue you a little more, and we'll see what you think after this. <laughs> and uh, poor Ellen Danik will probably have to get drunk. I know. How is Ellen Danik? We have, you know, she may have overdone it on one episode. I haven't she heard from her have. in a I hot know. minute. We'll have to check in. Speaking of today's guest, let me tell you all about her. Rebecca West is the CEO of Seriously Happy Homes, an interior design company based in Seattle. She's also the author of the book, Happy Starts at Home, and host of the soon-to-launch podcast, Creating Your Happy Place, as well as business coach to her fellow residential interior designers. Even though she's an award-winning designer, she really doesn't care if anyone ever buys a new sofa. She just wants our homes to be our happy place. Rebecca can't resist a cat video or a costume party, loves Oreos, and scotch whiskey and has a knack for seeing the silver lining in most situations. Natalie, I love scotch. I know. Scotch, scotch, scotch. scotch. I love scotch. Remember that? Okay, Ron Burgundy. (laughs) Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Rebecca West to the Wingnut Social Podcast. Hey there, Rebecca West. Welcome to the podcast. How the hell are you? You know, I'm doing spectacularly. Well, I am so glad to hear that. We are as well. And let me tell you, we are super interested to dig in into your interior design business model today because I'd be lying if I said it wasn't something that I've kicked around in my head for a bit. I know that there's a, another designer, you may have heard of her, Claire Jefford, mm-hmm. who's also a business coach in the industry. She has a, a similar kind of kind of situation going on, right? And she loves it. So we want to nail this down. But first of all, just tell me a little bit about your unique path to interior design and how you became an interior designer to start with. Oh, sure. Well, you know, this started for me 13 years ago, and it all started with me for me not with schooling, but with a divorce. I got divorced. I was living in a house I'd once shared with my ex-husband. He moved out, but he didn't take all the memories with him. And so I needed to reinvent my space because I wasn't going to be moving out myself. And when I did that, I went, oh my gosh, this interior design thing is not just, you know, throw pillows for the rich and famous. It could actually (laughs) help people. And I said, I want to do that for other people since I happen to be career and marriage free. And I started a business. Wow, that'll do it. A divorce. Well, mine didn't happen. Well, mine kind of did happen with a divorce, a divorce from my previous career. And by the way, I also love scotch. Oh, and I'm drinking some right now. I know it's morning, but it's never too early. Oh, you know, I asked Natalie if it was scotch o'clock yet, and she said no. She was wrong. Listen, I'm clearly with the wrong person. Listen, Rebecca, she has a Guinness. I do have a Guinness. I do have a Guinness. Oh, that's that's actually harder than whiskey. That's like a whole meal. Be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) You hush. You hush, Rebecca. Remember, you're a guest. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so your business model is, is a little different. It's not the typical full-service interior design company. Can you explain to us a little bit about your model and how does it work and, and what made you decide that, hey, I'm just going to do this and not the whole full shebang? The answer to the first part is, you know, the business model itself is we do design work. We create full-on, fully scoped kitchen remodel designs, bathroom model designs, color consultations, furnishing plans. Like I always say, if it's inside the walls, we'll help with it. (laughs) But 
we don't do any purchasing for our clients and we don't do any project execution. And the reason that I went that direction, remember, I didn't go into interior design on purpose. So everything I've done, I've made up. Like I didn't know there were, <laughs> there could be rules. I just made up my own. I love it. So because I was starting from this place of like design psychology, how can our spaces help us? I wanted to feel as free as possible to suggest an Ikea sofa or a Craigslist sofa as a you know $10,000 Ralph Lauren sofa because different situations call for different solutions. And I knew that you know I'm human and humans are swayed by money. And if there was some kind of a price tag associated with a solution I might offer, I might be swayed by that. And so I just decided I wanted to take money out of the equation between me and my clients. And that was my solution. And then over the years... It's turned out to be this amazing thing because the other side of it is that I don't have the headaches and the hassle of project execution, and I don't have to explain to my clients my markup or defend it. I can just do what I'm really good at, which is design, and then they can actually do what they're good at, which is execution. Because most of my clients, you know, they're project managers in their real life, but maybe in other fields, they're not afraid of executing. They just need a recipe to execute in the first place. And do you ever you know, think to yourself, hey, am I leaving any money on the table by doing this type of model? Well, I get asked that all the time. And <laughs> that's the burning question. I mean, technically, yeah, technically, I could totally be making a whole bunch of money on markups and execution. But the thing is, what I've come to realize is, aside from the fact that I still like that original part, I like that there's no money between me and the client. Mm. Uh, separate from that, though, you couldn't pay me enough to deal with the stress that comes with execution. Natalie knows she feels your pain, right? And I me do. too. The project management part is the bitch of the whole project is getting it is. all that organized. So how do you offset? Do you charge more for your fees? And what kind of deliverables are we looking at that you're handing off to the client? Because that takes a whole hell of a lot more work. Um, I mean, on that side of the equation than just, you know, having your floor plans, having your elevations and everything and talking to a contractor that you're used to working with they can kind of read your mind at some point you know what I mean and you have that working relationship so when you're giving those deliverables to a client man everything has to be just about perfect what are they walking away from besides the design so so they can implement it I'd say there's two parts to this answer so there's the deliverables but there's also the client it has to be the right client fit mm. you can't do this with a client who needs a white glove service for any whatever reason, like they're not fit for doing project execution or they don't have the time to do it. You know, so if it's the wrong client fit, it doesn't matter how good your deliverables are, it's not going to work for them. But the deliverables, yes, they need to be very detail oriented. They need to be very understandable, very clear. And then I always tell the client and then the contractor, if I do happen to know the contractor, if you are reading the file and you don't understand something, please do reach out. Like I am actually invested in seeing this project come to reality and getting, you know, after photos if it's the right project. So I, I make sure I leave that door open, even though I'm trying to create a file that means that they don't have to come to me for answers. Right. So say to you, a client has a certain set budget, and that's including the all-in. That includes their labor, their contracting, the materials, and everything. So in your designing for their budget, if you're not doing the project management, how do you know if the actual design implementation is going to fit within their budget? I mean, I'm assuming experiences, which is how we all go by. But if you don't do it a whole hell of a lot, do you have a scale or some kind of measurement for that? 
I try to get a sense early on of what the client's imagined budget is because at least in Seattle, I mean, everything here is crazy expensive. It just is ridiculous. And most of that money, honestly, is in the labor, not the materials. So I try to get a sense of the client's budget because yes, as you just said, based on experience, I can say that doesn't seem realistic. Like I had a client the other day for an initial consult whose budget for a bath remodel, full gut, moving things around was $5,000. And I'm like, that's not <laughs> realistic in this market. You know, and, and that's my job. My job is to educate them. Yeah. But if I feel like they're in the ballpark of reality, then I say that's fantastic. I feel that if I design this, you can execute it within, you know, these parameters. But then I'm also really honest with them. Like I don't control the labor costs and one contractor can bid the same project at $80,000 as another contractor bidding the same project for $300,000. It's crazy. So I'm trying to prepare them for what to expect and only design if we're on the same page in the first place because it's the worst feeling if you design something that can't be executed because you got that wrong. Like if someone comes to you and says, I'd like a kitchen for $30,000, which is barely doable here in Miami, I can't even imagine in Seattle, you're not going to design them a kitchen that projected it out is going to be $60,000, $80,000. You... And we make different decisions along the way. Like, okay, well then let's talk about Ikea. Let's talk about some of the Chinese import cabinet places. There are options. There are solutions. Let's talk, let's talk about keeping your cabinet. But if we don't start in a place of like, how many zeros are in your budget, then yeah, I can't, I'm just guessing when I design and that's kind of unethical from a provider perspective. And uh, because you're not doing any of that project management and all that stuff, do you actually guide the client or help the client find the contractors? I mean, do you have a list of recommendations that say, hey, you can work with, you know, X, Y, and Z. I've seen some of their work and they're decent. Yeah. 13 years in, I've got about six or seven contractors that I've done multiple projects with, and I like them. I understand where their budgets usually fall. I understand their communication flow. There's a, a span, right? So I've got the ones that are very high level. It's like full-on project management. They'll have 17 pre-meetings. The client has a binder. And then I've got my kind of guy in a truck, right? Who's just <laughs> going to mostly make the tile lines straight, um, you know? <laughs> When I am doing a referral, I'm trying to pair a personality service budget with the right contractor. And I'm always trying to give out at least two or three names because that decision cannot rest with me. It needs to rest with the client. And then if they're bringing in their own contractor, they've already had somebody. I get very excited about that because you know my list can, can't be long enough. I'm always looking for new, wonderful contractor partners. And now, does your contractors ever recommend you? My favorite contractors do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you know, I was wondering if it worked both ways out there. Yeah. And there's two of them that send me a lot of business and I really love working with them. And you get that same kind of communication flow that you would even if I was executing with them. But there's still no money that exchanges hands. We don't do referral fees. There's a couple of people I can't stop from sending me referral fees. And I give that money to a charity because I don't want that money between me and my clients. I like that. And that keeps the integrity really high. You're just, you're, you've done your service. You've gotten paid for it. Here's three guys. Refer me back some business if you feel like it. That's, that's how our exactly. relationship works. We did talk to liberables. I'm assuming you mentioned a binder there at some point. Was that the clients actually get something physical to hold on to or is this all digital? It's all digital. Um, although when we have our client meetings, we do print out the file, but it's, it's a pages file because I'm a Mac girl. So we create our entire file in a pages document. It's got the, you know, the as built and then it's got the new layouts, the new layouts dimension, the lighting plan. And then wow. it's got all the pictures of the pretty materials. And then of course, it's got a fully spelled out materials list and the materials list will say, you know, the item like kitchen sink, and then it'll have the description of size and whatever 
special things you have to choose, then the link to the product if it's something that they can access. Because we actually try and shop retail sources as much as we can so that if it's the kind of client who's going to do a lot of their own purchasing and the contractor's okay with that, then they have access as much as possible. And then, of course, the estimated price so that it's budgeted out. And from a project manager standpoint, before you guys have this meeting with the client, is it decided who's going to buy the uh, items? Not necessarily. It depends on if the client knows who their contractor is already. But as we all know, contractors can do a much better job estimating a project if they know actually what they're supposed to be building. So a lot of our clients are coming to us before they've started meeting with contractors or they've just had a couple of very light meetings with contractors to gauge personality. And then they're coming to us to put a fully scoped out design plan together so they can do an apples to apples comparison from contractor to contractor of this project in terms of timelines and budget and everything. So how does this differ from straight out e-design? I'm, I'm guessing in the deliverable end, it's a lot more cohesive, but it's it's all digital. So do you consider this kind of like an arm of e-design or straight out e-design or what, what would you call it? I love that question because, you know, with coronavirus, we're all exploring e-design a little bit more fully than any of us maybe intended. And the transition from me to our normal way of designing to our virtual designing that we're now doing was actually very easy straightforward. The only thing that's been a little more challenging is now the clients have to take the measurements instead of us. Yeah. And then, you know, it's really nice to be able to see materials in person, but we've been able to do some workarounds around that. So the difference really is not in the deliverables because the deliverables are completely doable in an e-design format with our system, but we really prefer meeting with our clients, taking the measurements ourselves, taking all the pretty tile samples to their house and touching and feeling them and petting them. Oh. <laughs> that's much more fun, but in the world of COVID, we can't. Petting samples is so fun. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's kind of a hybrid. It's it's a hands-on hybrid. I, I, I think I kind of love this, Natalie. Do we love this? I'm think- listening. <laughs> I'm listening. So for your design firm, who would you say is your ideal avatar? What kind of profession? What kind of range? Or what are we looking at as far as uh, your typical average budget client for this kind of model? Working professionals with kids, without kids, that doesn't seem to be one of the defining factors, but working professionals, usually couples with two, you know, they're both working professionals. So they're really, really busy. Like they don't have time to learn a whole new profession, even if they have interest in design, but they, because they're working professionals frequently in the tech fields or engineering fields, like I said, they're not afraid of project execution. They're not afraid of setting goals and deadlines and communicating with the contractor once they know what to communicate. And budget wise, I call my clients real people because they (laughs) have single family homes or condos or townhomes. These aren't luxury homes. They are just normal people with white collar jobs mostly. And, you know, a kitchen remodel is a stretch for them, but the disposable income is there to do it. So they're doing it properly, but they're not just throwing that money away. They're being very thoughtful about how they spend their money. Kitchen remodels and bathroom models, they can be very specific, right? And that's kind of hard to do, just give a design and hand off without getting involved, at least for me on the project management side. And that might be just because that's all I've done, that you do actually go and put hands on and everything. So right now with the virus here in Miami, they are starting to open up businesses. I think today, Natalie, was the first day we're starting to open back up, I think, as we record this. Monday the 18th. What's Tuesday the 19th. Oh, okay. So yesterday. <laughs> so how are you doing that with kitchens and baths? Are you st- are you going on site again or are you holding off on that? 
Kind of a combo. So our local contract furnishing smart is open. So I did have an on-site meeting with a client last week. We were both in masks and we chose our samples. And then our follow-up meeting to do all the fixtures selection was virtual. So we did that through Zoom. I'm doing outside color consultations, but nothing inside. Because technically in Seattle, we are not in an open phase at all. They've just restarted construction. Mm -hmm. So you know I can do a couple of things, but we're not really officially open for in-person business until phase two. We were actually here in Miami. We had a site visit yesterday for a client that purchased a new house and we were in and just, you know, sanitizing the hands, six feet social distancing. The client uh, is a retired law enforcement and he and his wife, that was their decision and we were comfortable with it. So, so far, I mean, that seems to be working out. Darla Jethro Powell. Yes, Natalie and Giraffe. Did you know that the Article Trade Team is made up of industry professionals who understand what's important to design businesses? I do, because as an interior decorator for Darla Powell Interiors, we have ordered Article products for our projects, and that was the experience I received. And as a project manager, from the product support that I get for invoicing and all the other support, they're amazing. They make it very, very, very easy for us to do our job. They absolutely do. And you guys, they do have a trade program, so be sure to run on over to wingnut.article.com. That's wingnut.article.com. How many clients do you have come beg you, please just take all this off my hands and just do it for me? Oh, yeah. It is a good question. And in fact, when we lose clients, you know, through the initial consult phase, it's usually to a design build firm. I'm very clear that we don't do the project management, so we don't have to have that conversation very often. But when the website didn't do its job telling somebody how we work and we have that conversation, I sometimes I'll have people that love our philosophy, they love our personality, they love our design aesthetic, and they're just like, I'm totally on board if you'll execute. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry, that's not what I do because I know what makes me happy as a business owner. I mean, my company is called Seriously Happy Homes. My coaching <laughs> company is called Seriously Happy Coaching and Consulting. So I really, really care about liking the work that I do. Oh, and so I think boring. that's so much about setting boundaries and then helping the client go find another, like I know this amazing design build firm and I refer to them all the time. And I know some of my design colleagues who will do that white glove execution and I refer to them all the time. And I know the client that's a fit for me. I love that. And I have to tell you, honestly, I would cave. I would say, okay, I'll, let's do it. <laughs> I need to get better with my boundaries for sure. Well, because a couple of times I've caved on things, man. I always regret it. Like I just hate it. Yeah, me too. Whenever I've gone against it, and Natalie will tell you, we will not get into specifics, but it's all been Natalie's fault. <laughs> 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 but when I've gone against my gut on stuff, I'm like, oh, man, I knew I shouldn't have been. It's just more of a hassle than it's worth. And we have lovely clients currently, and the the project management is going really well. But we have we definitely have had some headaches in the beginning. So let's get a little bit to pricing. So we mentioned earlier, are you leaving money on the table by not marking up trade sources, not marking up some of the, the subs, the trades? So your fee, is it flat or hourly? And how do you compensate for that, leverage that? Uh, so it's all flat fee. I'd started going a flat fee at about maybe five years in. So at first it was hourly because I think, at least for me as a new designer, I didn't know how long it was going to take me to find a lamp. You yeah, know, me I'm too. just kind of guessing. And then, of course, there's the whole thing where I was hourly and it took me three hours to find a lamp <laughs> and I'm not going to charge the client for three hours. Same. So that's chapter one. <laughs> But once I knew how long it took me to do things, I was able to start estimating my projects. And that's, I mean, oh, it's so much better because flat fee, 
does two things. Number one, it takes away all the stress of sending people surprise bills. I hate getting surprise bills. I hate sending surprise bills because I was constantly going, oh no, are they going to fight me on this? Do I have to defend my hours? Mm -hmm. It was awful. It's stressful. Yeah, totally. And then the other thing that I love about flat fee is that it rewards me for being more efficient. One of the things that is true about me and my team is that we are very, very efficient. We don't like getting stuck on a design. Like if, if a design took us nine months, we would pull our hair out. It's, <laughs> it's more of a, a six-week process to do a kitchen design, not a six-month process. So with that in mind, we get rewarded for being efficient with a flat fee model because if we estimate properly and then over time get better at our job, the price can stay the same, but we can actually put less hours into it. But my job that you know comes back to a discipline thing, right? You estimate and then at the end of the project, you have to time track, number one, And you need to review your hours and go, did I estimate this properly? And if not, why not? So for a long time, I was totally underestimating living room designs. And I just, it took me a while to get my head around the fact that designing a living room is harder than designing a kitchen or a bathroom. You know, we just told some clients that they said, we don't understand why the living room area is priced so much more for design than the bathroom or than this other area. And I said, because you have to understand the amount of time that it takes to source. We're talking for a naked living room and from from soup to nuts is insane. (laughs) It actually is the hardest thing. If you change one element, you know, change one rug, everything else has to (laughs) shift. Whereas I can put a hundred backsplashes with one kitchen counter. Yeah, exactly. And you know, your flat fee model and the reasoning behind it. Are you familiar with Sandra Funk from House of Funk? She does the exact. Oh, I love her. Yeah, me too. She's a, she's a good friend of ours. She does this exact same thing for the same reason. And when she does her proposals, and this is something we've recently started doing as well, we don't justify the flat rate with so many amount of hours so they can break down our hourly. It's just, here it is. It's X amount of dollars for this service. The end, you do the same. I'm very specific about scope. So my scope is spelled out in terms of how many meetings we're going to have and all of the things I'm going to specify. So my design agreement literally says kitchen sink, kitchen sink faucet, cabinet hardware. You know, it spells out everything I'm going to be specifying. It also specifies how many iterations we're going to do. So we're going to do two rounds of revisions and we're going to provide up to five layouts and three piles of finished combinations. You know, it changes from project to project, but it's very specific. But nowhere in there does it say how many hours our fee equates to. Awesome. Because it shouldn't matter. That's not what it's about. That's not what they're paying me for. They're not paying me for hours. They're paying me for a design. <laughs> exactly. So when you say rounds of revisions, let me just dial in on this because we, we say it a lot. We use it a lot. One round of revision, two round of revisions. Let's say a client comes to you and says, you know, this on the first meeting, I like everything, but this rug, can we change out this rug? And that's all they've utilized for that meeting. That's one round, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So that goes back to that design agreement. It says, after this round, here's your window for giving us feedback. Please make sure you've set aside time to think through your design because we're going to be doing revisions. And so I'm trying to be very specific. And then if I'm noticing that they aren't, like I feel like they're not giving me all their feedback, again, it goes back to my job to say, okay, here's what happens next. Here's the next two things that happen and then we're done. Like, don't let them make assumptions that are inappropriate because- like, then I'm not communicating well. Do you hear that, Natalie? Okay, so let's say they want to go to the third round of revisions. How do you charge for them on that based on this model? So generally speaking, if we get to a third round of revisions, it means that there's been some sort of um, 
miscommunication, like they didn't do their idea book homework very effectively or something, or the the spouse said, I don't care. And then suddenly they care. (laughs) Which happens all the freaking time. Yeah. Really try to avoid that one because that one's really frustrating. (laughs) Um, But so again, back to the design agreement, it says, if you need additional meetings, we bill it at this rate per additional meeting. Because one of our services, it's called a quick action session. And that's for the people who just need to pick your brain. So Mm -hmm. we'll just go to their house for 90 minutes. They can pick our brain for 90 minutes. So we use that same format if we need to tack on a meeting. Like, great, we'll show up. We can definitely keep working. Because we have found that if we need a third round of revisions, we need to design collaboratively. There's something that's not working that we've been guessing at. So we need to sit with them and go, all right, let's open this web page full of rugs. Let's find a rug together. (laughs) I love that. That's a great solution because I'm sure every designer listening can say, oh my God, we've all had those clients. Yeah. Where you just like, you're like, I've given you everything I think I need to give you. Like, what are you asking me for? And so... I just simply say, let's do this together. Or even worse, they've approved everything. And then two weeks later, you know, the more I think about it. (laughs) Yeah. And then that's when I go back to my cop days. I start polishing my guns. (laughs) (laughs) If a new designer was starting out, how do you feel about this part of, um, you know, I know it works over there in the West Coast. Do you think this would survive somewhere over here on the East Coast? Uh, Same kind of business model? I don't see why not. The only thing that might occur to me is that the East Coast is a little bit more traditional. And so, and so, you know, interior design just as a whole establishment has been around a bit longer over there. So I suspect you have a lot more clients who are familiar with interior design and might have a more traditional model in mind. I definitely think that this would work well for younger clients, for people who are new to interior design, who are not afraid of doing stuff on their own, you know, a lot of the DIY clients, but they don't want to DIY the design. It goes back to who is it you're trying to work with and what is it that they need as a service and can you provide that service? And this is kind of a design question, but in how the new normalcy and everything that's going on, how do you market your business? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question. That's like, uh, well, it's a whole nother. You know, I mean, how, <laughs> saying, how, how do you personally market How do market you personally yours? market yeah. your business to, to set you apart? Because your model is completely different than most traditional interior design firms. Well, in terms of how I get clients, a lot of my clients come from Yelp. Most of my clients are people who never thought they would have an interior designer. Like they, wow. they kind of start finding themselves floundering. And they're like, I, we need help because they don't know any better. They go on Yelp just like I would have. Huh. And I've got like 52 Yelp reviews or something like that. Whoa. I've also got about 50 house reviews. Nice. And mind you, I don't pay for those. So this is, an ad, this is not an advertising budget. I, I spend marketing budget mostly on my website design and some other things. But I am proactive about asking for reviews when I have finished with a client and over 13 years, you collect quite a few of them. (laughs) So uh, Yelp. And then some of those contractors that I was talking about send me wonderful referrals, especially I'm just going to shout out one of my favorites because he is really this awesome. So Chris at Raincap, he is an amazing contractor and he's also a great referral partner because he believes in the product that I produce for the client. And it's just a really good fit in terms of how we both communicate with the clients. It's a nice fit. I have to say you're the first interior designer that has said that Yelp has been successful for them. So that's awesome. So different things work for different designers in different areas. You can't really just poo-poo something just all together. Definitely. And that's and that's the thing about this whole model. Like it is not going to be a fit for a lot of people. Like if you're the kind of interior designer who needs that outcome control, this is a bad fit, right? Um, I actually say on the first cover of my deliverables, my cover sheet, it says, 
We are not the kind of designers who get cranky if you change something on this design and don't ask our permission. <laughs> we, we just aren't. Oh, I, I think I am. I think I'm a cranky designer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a lot of designers are, and a lot of clients want that. They want that professional control. So again, it goes back to who is your client and is this a fit? That make, reminds me one last question I had before we get into the what up winged around is photography. I guess if you're not really getting in there and making sure things are done that way because you're not the cranky designer like I am. So how do you control your photo shoots or photography or how important is that to you? It's very important because obviously that builds your portfolio. Sure. In my design agreement, it does say, by the way, we are, we are going to take before and after photos. And I, on my portfolio, I choose to show before and afters. That was one of the real keys to my success when I was new and my after photos were kind of garbage, but they were better than the before photos. <laughs> so I've just carried that forward and it really depends on the project. That's, oh, that's something I should mention. Mm -hmm. This model relies on volume. You know, okay. so we have 50 clients, 50 full design projects a year, maybe more. Wow. So you have designers yeah, and working I have a staff, so it's okay. not all just me doing those now. Yeah. It's a lot of volume. And that's one of the keys to this because I'm not making all the money on markup and everything. So I do need to be efficient. I do need to start a project and wrap it up within about six to eight weeks and move on to the next one. And so because we have all that volume, we don't need too many projects to be just the right ones to photograph. And we can be a little bit more selective based on client availability. How much did we like the project? How different is this project from some of the other ones that we, you know, we want to feature something different on our website. So, you know, of all the projects we do, we probably only have Julie take a photo of, you know, maybe one out of every 15. Okay. You know, even here, even though I'm the cranky designer, we only photograph maybe I don't know, 15, 20% of ours, because, you know, just, yes, I still, at the end of the day, I'll just be cranky as long as the client's happy. You also have a book called Happy Starts at Home. What well, made you just get a wild hair to write a book? Yeah, what the hell? The book is, it's a design psychology focused book. And it's not meant to be just a, ooh, don't you wish your house looked like this kind of a book, although it is filled with beautiful photos. It is also filled with exercises. It is meant to make you look at your house through the lens of what are the goals I've set for myself in my life? Like, what are your New Year's resolutions? And is your house making it easier for you to get to those goals and achieve those things? Or is it putting up obstacles to those things? A simple example would be, let's say you want to cook more meals at home, but you hate your kitchen for whatever reason, mm -hmm. like, okay, that means it's just a little bit harder for you to achieve the goal of cooking more meals at home. So the whole book is laid out with that kind of what part of your life are you trying to improve? And then how can your home be a part of that solution? And let's at least make sure it's not part of the problem. Or even buying a new house if you have loud music neighbors. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right now. Are you going through that right now? That's yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes, oh, we so are. Sorry. So that was Happy Starts at Home by Rebecca West. And Rebecca, now I have to ask you if you're ready for the What Up Wingnut round. I am. Now it's time for What Up Wingnut. Wingnut. All right, Rebecca West, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be and why? I would be a ginkgo. Because I think it is so cool that the ginkgo tree was alive in the same format it is now, back when the dinosaurs were alive, because my original degree was geology. So I love old rocks and old things, like really old. And in the autumn, it is this amazing, amazing yellow color, like otherworldly yellow color. I love it. I did not know that it was that ancient. It is. There are fossils of ginkgo leaves. It's so cool. And they look just exactly like today's ginkgo leaves. It's so neat. I love that. Uh, let me guess. You love Jurassic Park. Well, yeah, but that's just because it's an amazingly <laughs> fun movie. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? She died happy. I like that one. I think I like that one a lot. 
If you were a golden girl, which golden girl would you be? I'm going to go with Betty White because everybody loves her. (laughs) Rose. Natalie's Rose. Everybody loves Natalie, too. They have not seen her dark side yet, her dark Amish (laughs) side. Well, and I think that's part of what I love about her is that she is so sassy. Despite all of her naivete and niceness, she's so sassy. Right. She knows what she's doing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Last but not least, please recommend a book that has had a profound effect on you, either personally or professionally. I'm going to say The Artist's Way. I love that book. I don't know if you guys know The Artist's Way. Mm-mm. It's a book on creativity, and it's full of exercises. And it's actually the book that I modeled my book on because it's not meant to tell you how to be creative. It gives you ways to explore being creative on your own. And what it really gave me was the realization that it's in my own hands. Like I can do something about it. If I'm not feeling creative, I can do something about it. And it makes me feel like I have more power than I don't have. You know, since you mentioned that, I think Jerry, our friend, good friend, Jerry Cerruti at uh, the Jerry Cerruti on Instagram mentioned she was reading that and she loved it. She adored that book. Now that now It's that a classic. I- it's marvelous. So Rebecca West, before we say goodbye, please tell the Wingnuts where they can find you on social and we will bid you adieu. They can find my company at Seriously Happy Homes, but if they want to find me, they should go to at Be Seriously Happy. All right. Sounds good. Rebecca, thank you so much for giving us all this great information about this interior design business model. I'm hoping Natalie was over there taking notes. (laughs) 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 And we look forward to seeing you sometime in real life. Oh, I can't wait. All right. Thanks so much. Natalie Andreff. Yes, darling Jethro Powell. Well, that sure as hell would make your job a lot easier. I wouldn't have a job. That would be awesome. <laughs> You'll have a little bit of a job. There, There's still some... Biz- payroll. I would have payroll. That would be my job. Office management. There's still some administration. Yeah, but if you guys are going to do all that, who says I'm going to do that for you? I kind of dig that idea. Uh, Although the volume, that would be hard because you really uh, have to make sure that you have all those clients in the pipeline. But Yelp, who would have thunk it? Yelp. That's pretty awesome. But don't get any bright ideas, Darla. We are right in the midst of projects and to change that business model would be... Well, we can on existing clients. We can on new clients. Knock yourself out. We could like experiment, put our toe in the water and and see if there's clients that just want... We have done that in the past for clients that have specifically asked us, hey, can we just not do the project management and you just give us the deliverables for our kitchen, remember? Yeah, we have (laughs) done that. So if you want to put your toe in again, maybe you did your right one. Now maybe you can put your left one in and see what your left one says. I love it. Rebecca was incredibly smart. She sounds like she has everything locked and loaded. She, she, She runs a very tight ship over there. Absolutely. You know what? I forgot to ask her how many designers she had on her team. I, was, I think I was starting to, but then you were over there asking your Amish butter churn questions. So Those are important did questions. You, seriously, did you get any ideas from this or you you want to stick with the full service? I'm going to plead the fifth on this one Why? and uh, s- not answer it. Why? I'm seriously asking you. What did, What were your takeaways from this? What would you want to do? Well, being the bookkeeper, I'm not really sure I want money on the table. Want to leave money on the table? I don't want to leave money but on the table. But just think of the headache. I know, but that's my headache and not yours. And you love it. I don't mind it. You don't? Well, listen, guys listening, if Natalie says she doesn't mind it, 
She doesn't hate it. That means she really loves it. And you are an amazing project manager. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I was a cop for 18 and a half years, and I managed squads of grown men and women with guns, and I would not want to do the project management. So my hat's off to you. Well, thank you. All right, guys, don't forget to register for our very first Wingnut Social webinar with yours truly and Shana Heinrichy. Registration goes live June 4th, 2020, and the actual webinar is on June 25th, and it's going to be all about how to become a social media influencer. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on whatever the hell you're listening to this podcast on. Tell your friends what the hell. Tell your enemies, and be sure to follow us on social at Wingnut Social. And if you guys have any burning questions about social media and your marketing, give us a call at 877-WINGNUT or shoot us an email, info at wingnutsocial.com. And I think that's it for today. Busty McGillicuddy, got anything else? No, Jethro, I'm good. So long. See ya. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next week for more business and marketing info and insightful interviews with industry experts and design superstars. Can't wait? Then head on over to wingnutsocial.com for more great content to help you get your business to the next level. This podcast is brought to you by Guinness. Guinness is the beer of choice for crazy podcasters who don't know what they're doing. That's right. Okay. I I thought it was Stella. Stella! All right. That's you. Suddenly I got the schmutz in my lungs. Herbie, I think I need to see a doctor about this. Ready? And go. Um, well, I had it right the first time and you messed me all up. <gasps> Lies. Good boy, Mango.